Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Margaret, what are you doing here? Are you going to visit great-grandfather as well? Did you get a note from a youth? It's clear to all of you that he's in pain. And for some reason, he has chosen the three of you specifically to summon to his room. The truth is, I trust the three of you. I sit down next to him and I like, I hold his hand. I'm like, okay, great-grandpa, we're here for you. And as he gasped out the last word, please, a sudden spasm overtakes him. He doubles up, groans, and then coughs up a huge gout of blood before falling backwards, unmoving. As he was talking about more and more of the supernatural, the occult, he started to get more and more interested and also visibly upset. There's a great comfy seat for Maggie and Constantine. There's a whole trunk for you. I was never strong enough to take on the task, but I have hope that you are. In ridding the world of this, perhaps you will save my soul from hell. I fear that my deeds have not been enough to release me from this heavy burden. Oh yeah, Jack's dead, and he was talking about evil. That's bad. This is from the, the, lost, the lost continent of Mu. You might know it as Atlantis. Margaret would like to find a librarian, try and sweet talk her way into the restricted section. Please. Shut the door and come sit down. I don't think you understand how dangerous that text is. Boston, November 11th, 1925. Margaret O'Malley could feel the crunch of the frosted grass below her feet as she trudged through the cemetery in the early morning light. The sting of the cold wind felt even colder as it hit the last remnants of tears on her face. She knew her way, so she barely had to think about where she was going, which was good because she couldn't get the voice of her mentor out of her head. You have a job to do. A job. She never understood how he said it so easily, so calmly, like it was nothing. Margaret felt sure that no matter how long she was at it, no matter how many times she'd done it, it would never feel like that to her. It would never feel like nothing. Before she knew it, Margaret arrived at the grave she'd been walking toward. She set her violin case down on the ground and sat down herself, cross-legged, in the grass. A grave stood in front of her. Gladys O'Malley, beloved wife and mother. Hi, Mom, Margaret said out loud. There was no one around to hear her, and she always felt more comfortable if she actually said the words. But it was impossible for Margaret to express to her mother all of the emotions she was feeling. How could she? There was too much to explain. Too much her mother didn't know. Too much that had changed since she'd passed away. Margaret tried, tried to make her mother understand, tried to make herself understand, but it was no use. Her mind flashed back to the night before, sitting in the back room at Jitterbugs, when her mentor, Wilford McCarney, had walked up behind her and put his hand on her shoulder. She knew from his touch that he felt nervous, though she didn't know right away why he would be, but as he sat down across from her and explained what he needed her to do, she understood. He wasn't nervous about the job itself, just about asking Margaret to do it. When he'd finished, he'd pointed at the violin case that was sitting on the table, the one that now sat next to Margaret in the grass. That's not just for protection anymore, Maggie. You have a job to do. Well, she had done the job. She had done as she was asked, no matter how much she hated it. And now all Margaret could do was sit here and speak with her mother, trying to explain the inexplicable. Then she'd get up and go to confession before heading home to cry.
So I'm going to start this episode with a story. And this story is just my own recollection of events. So uh, they may or may not be true. And I've talked about, I've, I've mentioned this before on one of the previous seasons of the podcast, but I distinctly remember sitting in the basement of the dorm that I lived in at Notre Dame, Fisher Hall. And it was, it was night and a group of us were playing Settlers of Catan. And somehow someone said, you know what I've always wanted to do is play Dungeons and Dragons. Eric, Eric, I'm going to interrupt you. Yeah. That was me. I, I, I really <laughs> thought it was. Yes. <laughs> I really thought it was. And I think everybody around the table had this realization that each of us had also wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons in the past, and no one had ever brought it up. We had waited three and a half years or so to actually like reveal that this was true. We weren't sure we could trust each other yet. <laughs> totally, yeah, even after all that time. So I think that I, I feel like I immediately went to my car and like drove to Target. And I'm pretty sure that I didn't find the the D&D books that night. But then I think Nick and I went the next day to like Barnes and Noble and got the D&D books. And then I started, I remember starting to leaf through them and I had known a little bit about D&D in high school. I had friends who played. I think I had made a couple characters, but I had never actually played. And I was like, a lot of this does not seem familiar to me. Like something seems different, but I plowed ahead and I prepared a homebrew adventure because I didn't know anything about um, about the fact that there were like pre-written adventures that existed, and I brought it to our friends. I realized later on that it was fourth edition and I had played third edition in the past. I also think that I made people drink weird things from the dining hall as part of the intro <laughs> adventure, like chocolate yes. syrup or hot sauce. Yes, I yes. I drink buffalo sauce. But they they were mysteries. They were closed styrofoam cups and we didn't exactly. know what each person was drinking. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. But anyways, that is a very long-winded way of saying that the people that I have for this season on this podcast are some of my best friends in the entire world and the first people that I ever made play role-playing games with me. So what did I miss about the story? What was what was wrong? What don't you remember? What else do you remember from our, our original D&D playing? I don't remember the drinking of the stuff. I feel like that would be a very distinct memory. <laughs> Maybe you got a good thing. It could yeah. have been. I could have gotten like pop or something, but I, I don't remember that. <laughs> I'm trying to remember like if if you just made us drink things immediately or if it was like you had to have reached a certain action in the game that like prompted you drinking something. So maybe Adam just did not get to that point. There's always that chance. I think we we got something and um, I think we had to drink it as a mystery. And then if we could co correctly identify it affected in game. Yeah, I think I think because I think they were supposed to be potions. And so if you the person could identify the real substance, then your character could identify what the potion was. I think that had something to do with it. I feel like you told me mine was supposed to represent lava. So I hope that <laughs> yes. was not a potion. I think I think this should be a look like this is an opportunity. Like there should be a um, role playing game that incorporates more like real not not maybe not quite LARPing, but like real world like eat this and if you are able to drink this whole thing of hot sauce then you get more hit points back or something like that. <laughs> I, I thought you were going to go with uh, we all have other people in the house somewhere. Just ask them to bring us a mystery fluid from the refrigerator <laughs> and uh, Eric figure out how to work that out into the game. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't have anyone else in the house. I, I as I usually do when I record, I, I kick my wife out of the house. So that <laughs> poor Kelsey. So and yeah, anyway, so uh, so um, Adam and Brandy and Nick are three people who I have I have GM'd for these three more than pretty much anyone else. Um, mostly Pathfinder, but it, it does jumping back in. It feels it feels like something that I've done for a long time. Eric, I feel like in future of these conversations, we need to dedicate each one to a different dumb character that Adam created. <laughs> 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 what what do you, what is the dumbest character that is sticking out in your mind of the characters Adams created, Brandy? Um, the God, I don't even know what it's called. The like robe dancer. Oh. <laughs> that was such a great. I loved that character. He was the he was just named the cloak, <laughs> and he was a, he was a cloak fighter, and he used his cloak to hit people and grab things. <laughs> I like didn't didn't you play a frogman? I, I loved that was Hopleaf Green Tongue the Fourth. He was my I, favorite character. I did like Hopleaf. Was he the one with the net as well, or am I just combining yeah, them all into one no, dumb that character? Was the net. Which was the one who could transform into a pile of kelp? <laughs> I believe that was like a one shot we did because we were really high level, and I asked if I could transform it. Oh, we had some good times. Uh, oh, Adam, you are good at these games. <laughs> Nick, just like Constantine uh, would be very happy if Evan gave him a compliment, I am also very happy, and I'm just going to take that at uh, face value and be Purely very happy that value. you compliment me. <laughs> I do. I do think that th- it's a pretty common experience, at least um, among the people that I th- of the people who run actual play podcasts that I listen to, that. They try on the podcast to be slightly less dumb than the dumbest, the dumb, dumb, dumb stuff that you do in home games. And I feel like, I feel like for the first episode, we pulled it off pretty well because uh, our home games are the dumbest. (laughs) That's very accurate statement. I think that's a pretty (laughs) succinct way to say that. All right. So let's, uh, let's dive back in. So um, our characters were summoned to the 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 death bedside of uh Jack O'Malley who for some was their great grandfather and for for Evan was was his great uncle and Jack told them that when he was young he and some uh, other students at the university were playing around with the occult playing around with things they shouldn't have been playing around with and summoned an entity into the world and that it was his life's great regret that he had done this and that he believed it to be confined to this old farmhouse that he had purchased, but that the the binds on this creature would break when the last of them died and he was near death himself and believed that he was the last of them living. And so he tasked these three of his relatives, his descendants, to... I mean, kind of his descendants in the case of Evan, but but at least at least close within the family. He tasked them to go out and solve the problem, banish the entity in a way that he never could do. They have a little bit of instruction. They've got some weird stuff. They've got a journal that they haven't really looked into. They've got a weird gold sarcophagus. And they're trying to kind of do some research on what they need to do before heading out to the farmhouse. And so we're going to pick back up there. And we're actually going to pick back up with Margaret O'Malley, 
who is sitting in the office of Dr. Henry Armitage, the head of the library, the head of the Orne Library at, at Miskatonic University, who has just informed her that the book that she's looking for, uh, De Vermiis Mysteriis, is extraordinarily dangerous. And so, Margaret, um, he sits you down and, and tells you that book, it's, it's extremely dangerous. Where, where did you hear that name? I think you might know my great-grandfather, Jack O'Malley. Yes, I believe that I have spoken with Jack a few times. He's a he's a local paranormal investigator, is that correct? Yes, yes, I uh, heard of it from him. Well, Miss O'Malley, I first of all, I must tell you, I, I cannot allow you to see this tome, and it worries me that your great-grandfather knows of it and would would speak of it so callously it i would i would like to talk with him is he where where might where might i find him um the morgue he's he's dead how how did he die and, and now he now he seems kind of afraid how did he die he coughed up a lot of blood and then died do you know do you know has he has he read the tome i don't know she's lying yeah <laughs> <laughs> this is very concerning. I, Ms. O'Malley, I, I, I'm going to need to look into this, but please promise me you won't go asking after it. That it can only cause you trouble. On the only people who will find you if you ask around for this book are people that you don't want to interact with. I assure you of that. All right, sir. I'll leave it alone. All right. Thank you. And he, he looks noticeably relieved when you say that. What's, wh what do you think Margaret's thinking at this point? Like, what's kind of, what is she... What is she feeling on this about this revelation? Like, how uh, how does she want to approach moving forward? Well, initial thoughts are that this is definitely something we need to get our hands on if we want to solve this problem. Um, if this dude is so afraid of it, then it's probably part of the reason, if not the entire reason, behind the like arrival of this creature thing. So it most likely will lead to the banishment of it. So first and foremost is that we got to get it. And I do think you would remember that in in the letter that your great-grandfather wrote to you, he said that there are translations from the book in the house. Okay. I missed that part. I think I still think it's a good idea to try to get it before we go in so we can be prepared, but Alright, so Margaret, do you do you head out then? Yes. I thank Professor Armitage for his assistance. And I go back upstairs where I believe I meet up with Constantine again and we talk about Egypt. Okay. Okay. And so are you going to try to find someone to be able to translate the the hieroglyphs? Yeah, I think that was I think that's what our plan was. Yeah, that was our next step, I think. Margaret said she would talk, so I'm cool with it. Right. Right. Yeah, so you you go back to the librarian that you had spoken to before and you ask if there is someone who she would recommend to help you with translating the Egyptian hieroglyphs. She recommends a Professor Warren Rice. Um, who she said, you know, is is a a, lang a, a language expert at the university, specifically around ancient languages like Egyptian hieroglyphics, and that he likely can be found in his office, and that he probably for a fee would be willing to take on the translation work. All right, I thank her, and then I think Constantine and I probably head over to his office or head over to Professor Rice's office. And I'm like, I think I know someone who can pay for it. <laughs> who do you think we could get? 
Speaking of someone who can pay for it. <laughs> uh, after a couple hours of searching at Jack O'Malley's house, his great uncle, um, where does Evan go next? Or what does Evan do next? Uh, Evan will join. He'll, he'll go try to find them. He knows he, they went to the library university. Uh, he, he's gotten bored. And so he'll he'll head that way to find his his uh, whatever relationship there. Yeah, like second cousins once removed or something. I don't like know that. how those things work. <laughs> First cousins, I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, you you would be able to find them relatively easily, and I think timing wise, probably makes sense that you are able to find them around around the time that they're heading to go find Professor Warren Rice. And so the three of you head into the classics department at Miskatonic University. You ask for Professor Warren Rice, and you are ushered to an office where an older man with dark gray hair that he kind of wears long, a salt and pepper beard, and reading glasses is sitting. Knock, knock. Yes, hello. Uh, how can I help the three of you? Hi, um, Professor Rice. The, the librarian recommended you to us. We have some hieroglyphics that we would like a little help decoding, please. And Constantine will just shove the hieroglyphics in his face. <laughs> just like throw the box at him. Well, not throw the box, but like here, here it is. Look at it. Can you tell us what this means? Uh, calm down, son. Cal- calm down. I give me a chance to look at it. Um, oh, okay, sorry. And he starts kind of perusing it and looks back at Margaret because she's clearly the one that he wants to interact with, and is like, <laughs> "Young lady, can you tell me where is it that you acquired this uh, this fine piece?" Uh, we just found it at our grandpa's house. He he um. Had a lot of a lot of different like trinkets and things that he collected, and we just found this and thought it was interesting, but had no idea what it said. All right, why don't you give me some sort of interpersonal uh, role? Seventy-two. So that is good for charm. All right. You know, I, we we talked about how um, how Margaret has the ability to kind of play up or play down her intelligence, and it seems like in this moment she's kind of playing the damsel in distress a little bit um or you know maybe not maybe not distress so much as as interest but kind of playing down her intelligence and and uh, asking this older uh, academic for assistance and he says yes yes i i would be happy to take a look at it for you i i will say it's you know, some of these engravings are a little bit hard to decipher. It might take me a, a day or two. I have classes to teach and and other such important business, as you know, but I would be happy to do it. I, I do usually charge for work like this, let's say $2 or so. Oh, uh, pr- Professor Rice, I, I think charging would be beneath us, but there may be a matter of donation to the department. You know, and and I think, you know, maybe maybe 200 would be an appropriate level of donation. I will say, though, that uh, time is a important factor here. I'm, I'm sure some of those classes could be postponed. Why don't you give me a, um, a credit rating roll? That'd be real bad to <laughs> fail And just share this. with the audience, Nick. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, share, I, share with the audience what your credit rating score is. <laughs> uh, it is 90, which I believe you told me I couldn't go any higher then. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. So that is a, uh, a 21. So that's a hard success. <laughs> that's a hard success. <laughs> All right. You definitely have the money. Um, his, his eyes go wide when you mention a $200 donation to the department. And he says, yes, I, 
I think that I could, uh, I think that I could maybe shuffle some things around, see if someone might be able to cover my classes. Yes, I can, I can get this, this done for you. No, no problem at all. And, uh, Constantine's gonna step in and be like, Dr. Rice, Dr. Rice, before you go, do you know, do you have any connection between, um, ancient Egypt and the lost continent of Mu? And he looks at you and says, son, I, I don't know who you are, but I wouldn't worry yourself with such fantasies. The Lost Continent of Mu is is a legend, a story, nothing more than that. There is no connection between a real civilization like Egypt and this this fanciful place. Constantine, come on. I I think there's more books in the library that need reading. I love reading. Okay. He uh, he says that he says that he he will work uh, as quickly as he can, and that he he hopes to be able to finish this evening. Oh, thank you, thank you so much, sir. It's probably you know four or f- probably five o'clock ish since you met at the hospital at two o'clock and have done a little bit of research. So he he's gonna he's gonna try to work this evening and see if he can get it done. As we're leaving, uh, Constantine will kind of just be like. That Dr. Rice doesn't know what he's talking about. Obviously, Moo's real. We have right there's writing on the box right there that's definitely Moovian. I, I don't understand how he couldn't see that. I, it, it's ridiculous, but I guess this is what we have to work with. We're, we're not all as uh, smart as you, Constantine. So we'll forgive him his, uh, his ignorance. I guess you're right. Evan, you always know what to do. And Constantine, who, who knows? Who knows, Constantine? He might he might see the the carvings on the inside and still be able to come to some conclusion from them. Okay, all right. I trust you guys. You guys are both you guys are both good. You're both trustworthy. I believe you. I I do need to get back to Boston, guys. Um, I've got you know work that I have to go attend to. So, Evan, would you would you mind giving us a ride back, or I can catch the train if you guys would like to stay and check out the house. If if we're getting to the house, uh, considering the matter of evil there we should probably get there before dark oh no sorry uh grandpa jack's house i don't think we should go to the other house before we have more information interesting i'd like to go to the farmhouse <laughs> you nick or you you evan evan uh i'm just looking at constantine like being like yeah come on we'll get in the car and go constantine's looking back and forth between these two like he's not he's he'll follow a suggestion but when two people give him a suggestion then he has to make a decision like it's just like shattering his willpower so he's like going back and forth between like oh, i have to go to the city um like when when um margaret mentioned job he's like oh, oh yeah i was supposed to i was supposed to go into work today i kind of forgot about that um he runs his hand through his hair but then evan is so convincing he's like i'll do i'll do anything just just tell me what to do Okay, well, Evan, if you want to go to the farmhouse, I'm not going to stop you. I am going to take the train back to Boston, and then I will come back tomorrow with my gun, and I will go to the house and meet you there. You you didn't bring your gun? No, we were going to the hospital. Constantine, did you bring your gun? I, I, don't, I don't have a gun. You don't have a gun? No, I don't have guns. I'm not. I'm a photographer. I hold up. I have this. I hold up my camera. That's not a gun. An important weapon. Yeah. It, I, it, the, Knowledge is the most important weapon. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Where did Constantine hear that? That he knew that I needed to bring it out right now. <laughs> I'm, assuming, I'm assuming it's something that like was written in the pit, like it, Boston. Like one of the the um, uh, authors like concluded like an article or started an article like that that he <laughs> um, when he was doing some research and he picked it up and he's like, oh, I like this. 
It, it was actually just on the enrollment pamphlet for the university. Yeah. <laughs> Constantine had just seen it in the hallway. Here at Miskatonic, knowledge is the most important weapon. <laughs> the camera like pans back to the poster that's on the wall and just like zooms in. <laughs> but really, I am going to go catch a train and go back home. These two can explore on their own all they want, whatever. Constantine's going to be like, Evan, maybe maybe we should stick together. You know, I mean, this this could be something crazy. We could do some more research. I could talk to, I could talk to my guy at the uh, LOS, and uh, maybe maybe he would know something about the the Moo translation that I don't we don't currently have. But you know, maybe he'd just know something. I, th- I think we should go back. Well, I guess one gun isn't going to be enough for all of us, so we can go in the morning. But it'll be early. Oh, okay. Also. Just doesn't Evan have a cane sword also? Mm, he does. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I had forgot. I wasn't sure. Do we know the shatter? Is it still just a cane? It, it's still just a cane, but Evan doesn't need a cane. So you guys might put it together that that's a little weird. I mean, you're a rich dude. You're just a weirdo. Did you mention, Nick, that Evan also has an eye patch? No, I didn't. <laughs> I meant to describe him getting changed into his uh, three-piece white suit. And his eye patch and cane <laughs> earlier, and I uh, got distracted. <laughs> so everyone who's listening can just imagine backwards and retcon uh, what Evan looked like in the past couple scenes. Yeah, that's amazing. Also, I'm pretty sure I'm like still wearing scrubs. So <laughs> anybody listening to this will will have seen character art for Evan, and so we'll we'll already know that he has an eye patch and wears a white three piece suit. <laughs> Um, all right, so the three of you drive back to Boston. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right, so what do you what do you each want to spend your evening slash night doing? I'm gonna check into the, like the Globe, um, and like I know that I'm late and maybe it's closing, but I'm still just gonna go check in and yeah, maybe apologize once, but see if I can still turn in some turn in some prints or um, you know work on work on the, the my current project. All right, I think they. I think they know now at this point that you're not the most reliable of their employees. And so they probably give you jobs now that are kind of less urgent. And so they kind Mm -hmm. of shake their head and and just allow you to kind of continue on with the work that you're doing because it's for like some feature article that can come out anytime over the next like two weeks. Yeah. And so they're just waiting for you to be able to actually accomplish your task. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, You're too talented to fire. Because like they, they they do actually they do appreciate your work they just know to direct it toward things that are less timely. What about Constantine or Margaret? I go to Jitterbugs. <laughs> are you just gonna you're gonna you're gonna work a full night just just as usual? I was already late, so yep. <laughs> <laughs> so tonight for you, Margaret, there's no um you know there's there's no kind of under the table business for you to do so it it's just a pretty standard night um of waitressing um at the club cool love that uh evan i'll also go to jitterbugs but obviously not to work yes as much as anything just to to keep myself distracted because i'd really like to be at the farmhouse and if i just sit at home that's all i'll think about yeah makes sense do you think that people at jitterbugs know that you and margaret are related uh, I have not brought it up. I also have not brought it up. Okay. So I imagine that, you know, you, you, you know, the two of you make eye contact a number of times over the course of the night. And, you know, there's just kind of a, a knowing glance, but it, it doesn't get brought up again. Constantine, 
before you know after you go to the globe and then you you know you do a little bit of work and you get back home i would guess that the the journal is still on your mind when mm-hmm. you arrive back home do you think you do anything with that yeah um I think that I'm imagining it kind of being in his like breast pocket or something. So he kind of like feels the weight of it. And he knows that, I mean, they need to be armed. I mean, he's dealt with the occult enough in the last few years that he knows that they need to be armed with as much knowledge as possible. So I think he, depending on what time, I mean, probably get off around five or six or uh, whatever, that he starts, he starts going through the journal. All right. So you start to, you start to look through and... There's a few entries before this, but the first entry that you come across that seems particularly relevant is dated February 27th, 1857. And you start reading and it says, Marion Allen has acquired an artifact, purportedly Egyptian. It appears to be a small sarcophagus of gold. Inside is a large piece of amber, which entraps a specimen of some unknown species of arthropod. Alan is very excited as the box corresponds to a description he found in an ordinary reference volume in the university's Orne Library. Alan says that in another book, De Vermiis Mysteriis, is an explanation of the powers of the box. The text says the small animal trapped in the amber is actually the host to a bound djinn, a guide to the spirit world. Alan says the tome mentions that originally there were four such pieces of amber contained in the box. There is no mention of what happened to the other three. We are agreed, and a date has been set to conduct a ceremony intended to summon the jinn, which Alan assures us will be friendly. We have chosen the night of Saturday, the 30th of March, the night before the new moon. Okay, um, I'm going to keep reading. I was going to say, it, it's it's definitely, like, reading that I think would feel unsettling. Um, and so I was going to ask whether, does the unsettling make him more intrigued or less intrigued? So it sounds uh, like it makes, it makes him, him more intrigued. intrigued. <laughs> I mean, th- at this point, he wouldn't be able to stop. Um, even if I mean, even if he wanted to, even if it was late or he was tired or I mean, usually, you know, distractible flight of fancy, you know, things like that. Not not with something like this. Like he is he is pushing on regardless. Yep. Makes sense to me. Strap in for some journal entries, everybody. <laughs> I have a really unimportant question. Is it Alan like me or Alan spelled differently? Because I can't focus. <laughs> oh, it is. It is. It is Alan like you, Marion Allen. <gasps> okay. <laughs> Connections outside the game. <laughs> yes, this is this is a long lost relative of the actual player, Brandy Erickson Nay Allen. Yes, I wanted to say uh, Nay. So good. So good. <laughs> So Constantine continues to read. Uh, The next entry is dated March 30th, 1857. And it says, We began the ceremony as Alan instructed, according to that described in De Vermiis Mysteries. A fire is set in the fireplace, and a pentagram chalked on the floor, marked with appropriate symbols, and illuminated by two black tapers placed near the center, flanking the piece of amber with its entrapped spirit. The others sit in a circle while I, the designated watcher who guards for malevolent spirits, sits in the corner of the room. At least I get the comfort of a chair while the others can look forward to sitting on the floor for hours. Alan throws a handful of powder in the fire, producing an evil-smelling smoke and dampening the flames, which now burn a sputtering green and brown. Those seated on the floor begin the Latin chant Alan has transcribed from his book. After nearly two hours, I see a trail of smoke circling up from the piece of amber. Its surface seems to be bubbling and melting. Can this be? Have we finally achieved success? I can see a form. And then it trails off. 
just a just a just a question what would evil smelling smoke smell like it's too horrible for you to know. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. Well, you know, that that was not Constantine's thought. So, yeah, uh, he's going to obviously keep reading. Um, or do, does it look like like does the writing trail off after that or just stop? Or does it look like, you know, the end of an entry? It doesn't look like he was like. The pen was dragged like the, across the page yeah, okay. as he was like, no, it just, it stops. It stops okay. like he stopped writing and got distracted with something else. Okay. Um, all right. I can keep going. I'm, I am wondering though, is he like, is he, is Constantine like taking notes or is he, is he just no. like so engrossed that it's, nope. he's just like he, reading, he he's is, just flipping the pages. Yes. He is, he is reading it. He is engrossed. Um, I mean, you know, he knows why he started this, um, but this is taking over. This has kind of been his his life for the last few years. Like when he he's uh, seeked out occult experiences, and when he finds them, it's almost like a compulsion to continue them, compulsion to keep looking into them. So he's you know not looking at it like an academic standpoint necessarily. Gotcha. All right. So he continues to read. The next entry is the following day, March thirty first, eighteen fifty seven. We have finished with our plans and have sworn a pact never to speak of what happened last night. We have satisfactorily explained the death of poor Robert, and in some manner the madness of Harold. The sheriff accepts the explanation of a carriage accident. We planned it well. Robert's neck was broken in the fall, we told him. Harold struck his head on the rock where the horse's leg broke and the carriage rolled. Would it be that it was only that? For the rest of us, we will be forever changed by what we experienced last night. I will write down the true events so they are not lost completely. The thing formed in the center of the pentagram, shapeless and nearly invisible. Its terrible voice should have given us a clue, but we were so foolish. It spoke, then Alan cast that damned powder on the gin, the dust of Ibn Ghazi, he called it. And that's when we could all see it clearly. Words cannot adequately describe the faceless thing with a thousand maws. It roiled and bubbled, never fully revealing itself at any one time. So terrifying was its aspect that I was frozen in place, my pen falling from my nerveless fingers. Cecil and Alan seemed as lifeless as myself, while a short, sharp cry issued from Crawford's mouth. Robert, however, rose to his feet, and before anyone could stop him, stepped forward as though to embrace our horrible guest. With its arms, or those appendages that seemed most like arms, it took hold of poor Robert and twisted his head around as though he was a doll. The lifeless corpse was then thrown back in Harold's lap, and that's when he began that damnable shrieking, the shrieking that hasn't stopped since, even after we handed him over to the sheriff's men. We still had a chance, apparently. Alan now believes that if we had kept our wits, we could have reversed the summoning and forced the creature back to wherever it came from. But Crawford panicked and, mistakenly believing that it would dispel the creature, reached forward and destroyed part of the pentagram, breaking the seal and ending its effectiveness. Released from that binding symbol, the thing, with a screech that could only have been unholy satisfaction, was ejected from the house, disappearing out of the window as a roaring, screaming wind of boiling colors. Crap. So it was friendly, um, like they thought. Yeah, super friendly. <laughs> this is going to be like a Casper situation. Um, <laughs> so, sorry, so... Casper? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, what? Eric, Casper? Eric got more sponsors. Not Casper, not Casper the mattress, Casper the friendly ghost. I know that. However, Casper the Casper the mattress, the best night of sleep you'll ever get. Um, I think at this point, like after having read that, Constantine, 
picture him kind of like sitting on his on his bed reading this and i think he drops the book for a moment and maybe like clutches the sheets and he is i mean he is visually shake he is shaking a little bit he's sweating a little bit and he mutters like myrtle myrtle is this is this what is this what happened to you like you're the one who sent me on this journey like what what is going on what is going on and then you know i think maybe after a few minutes like he will pick it up but he that that is the part like where he it broke it shook him a little bit more i think when you kind of finally recover and you reach back down to grab the book as soon as your hand touches the outside of the of the surface of the book the leather of the book you feel for just a second another hand place itself on top of yours and then you look up and you like you expect to see someone also reaching for the book and then there's no one there okay he is going to stop what he is doing and um go to a uh, like a filing cabinet type thing or a dresser and pull out a few very well shot pictures ones he knows that are you know ones that would get him a good amount of money if he turned them into paper um, of of various things various projects he's worked and he is going to um, burn two of them okay um, he's just gonna set them on fire you know not like create a big fire but just um you know hold a match under them get a matchbook hold it under them and wait till they're both burned and kind of like look up and be like okay th- those are for you Myrtle those are for you and then he'll go back to reading Constantine, a super normal dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I do have to say that, like, I'm worried that Evan and Margaret will never actually get this information because um, Constantine's not the most reliable. <laughs> so I feel like Nick and I are just hearing all of this story, but our characters are not going to be able to act on it. They may get it. I don't know if they'll believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and that is okay. I'll lose the leather journal between now and tomorrow and it'd be like, it, it exactly. Said some, it said some stuff about a monster. I don't know. <laughs> you guys let me keep it. I don't know. That's true. You did. You did. Um, all right, so you you eventually continue reading after after burning some photos. Uh, you you pick the journal back up. The next entry is dated April fourth, eighteen fifty seven. So that is uh, about four days after the last entry, and it says Alan intends to leave Arkham and travel to find a solution to the crisis. He said that he intends to seek out occult scholars in New Orleans. I pray he is successful, but my hopes are not high at this point. He insisted that I be custodian of the gold sarcophagus and not to show it to anyone. What's even more odd is that he instructed me to not visit or even live in Boston. I can only guess as to why, as he will not tell me his reasoning, apart from his insistence that it be for my own safety. Marion still thinks that the thing could yet be destroyed, or at least dispelled, but none of us who remain have the stomach for such an undertaking. I hope he can find a way to safely banish it without another of us falling to its malevolent grip. And Constantine, I think you would, when you read the... What's even more odd is that he instructed me to not visit or even live in Boston. I guess it should probably be written the other way. He instructed me not to live or even visit Boston, live in or even visit Boston. You didn't know that your great-grandfather had this particular, like, that he that he didn't come to Boston, but you also can't recollect a single time when you've ever seen him there, even though much of your family does live in Boston. Where Where is the farmhouse located? It, it's still in... Um... Arkham, right? 
it's a it's a few miles west of Arkham. It's near Ross's Corner, which is like a small okay. village outside of Arkham. And I mean, in the like in this universe, Arkham and Boston are not. I mean, they're separate entities, right? There's no connection. He didn't say you have to leave Arkham. He said you have to leave Boston, but Boston wasn't really involved in this, to my knowledge. Correct. Right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Arkham is so Arkham is thirty strange. is thirty five miles north of Boston in okay. in this universe. Okay. So I've right, never seen him reading. go to Boston, which makes yes. Keep going. All right. April seventh, eighteen fifty seven. Three days later, we now believe that the spell we cast to summon it inextricably bound the thing to the house. Alan went back this morning to retrieve some of our belongings and store our ritual, ritual accoutrements. He says that he heard it bumping around in the attic over his head, cursing him all the while. He said that it also told him that it was that it only has to wait us out. When we who are present are all dead, it will roam the earth freely, slaughtering and feasting. Thankfully, the warding signs carved by Alan during better times, times that seem so long ago now, apparently are effective and bar the thing entry except into the attic of the farmhouse. I might be able to sleep a few hours tonight knowing it is bound to the attic and cannot harm anyone else. I am hopeful for the first time since we stupidly released it from the amber. If it told him the truth, then we have time to seek the answer. God be with you in, in your search, my friend. All right, keep going. All right, and then the final entry in the journal is October 30th, 1857. So about six months later. And it says, I just discovered that Marion Allen is dead and has been dead for some months now. He was murdered in New Orleans this past August. I suspect that he spoke to the wrong sort of people about the things he has seen and they killed him. The newspaper mentions the sarcophagus, so they may have been after the gold. That is three of us gone now. I must do something. I've already begun ancient history classes at university, so I believe I will try to research the problem at the farmhouse in that manner. Perhaps I will uncover an ancient secret of how to rid our world of that beast in my own way. And you also see that below that below that entry, there's a newspaper clipping taped into the journal. It's dated August 28, 1857, and the headline reads, Brutal Murders at Docks. And in the article, it says, New Orleans. The body of Mr. Marion Allen, late of Arkham, Massachusetts, was discovered early this morning near the Gulf and Panama docks. A victim of foul play, the man was identified by local witnesses who said that Mr. Allen had been seen in the locale that the evening before. Although robbery was the apparent motive, police report that the victim had gruesome marks carved into his forehead and his tongue had been cut out. Mr. Allen had reportedly gone to the police earlier this week claiming that he was being followed and that he feared for his life. He said his shadowy pursuers were after an Egyptian artifact, which he no longer possessed. And then the last thing in the journal below that is the list of names that you already saw before, where you wrote in April 1926 next to Jack O'Malley's name. Okay. After having read all of that, I need you to make me a sanity check, please. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not going to pass this one. Um, that is a failure. Uh, what did you roll? 28. All right. So you lose two points of sanity. Oh. And just for for those keeping track at home, because it's real precarious with Evan, that drops you to 18. Is that right? That that drops the yes. Um, Constantine started out the adventure. Um, he's he's seen some things. He he wasn't maybe the strongest willed person before, but he's seen some things and it has knocked his sanity down. So I started out with a 20 sanity, which is not high. Um, second lowest you can get. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'm. I'm flirting with the edge. All right. But um, as, a, as a nice little bonus to your two points of sanity loss, 
you do gain one point in Cthulhu Mythos, uh, which I think moves that up to one for you. Yep. Good. Um, and you also get to mark the checkbox next to Occult. Um, this is something that we haven't really talked about, but if you ever succeed at one of your skill checks, you get to mark the box to the left. Um, oh. So I think I think Brandy um, Margaret can put a check next to Charm. Um, but this is this this counts as a su- an occult success for you as well, um, okay. Constantine, for reading through this tome. Good. That was worth it. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Constantine. <laughs> Constantine is not, I mean, like he's too shaken up and especially like, you know, with the the sanity aspect of it, um, he's haunted anyway. So he is going to like put the book down and like maybe sit, maybe he'll even like lie in bed and stare at the ceiling. And he's like, no, I think, I mean, I assume that he knows where Margaret works. I'm just going to make yes. that, the, yeah, yeah, the, he would that, that assumption, the jitterbugs and, uh, he is going to go the jitterbugs, yeah, just jitterbugs. Make it's 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 very important. It's just jitterbugs. OK, well, I really don't think he cares about that. So. <laughs> He's been told that Margaret has told him that over and over, and he just calls it the jitterbug over and over again. <laughs> and he's going to be like, I, I need I need to talk to them tonight. I need to do it tonight. So he's going to get up and go to the, jit, the jitterbugs. <laughs> All right, so um, so Constantine gets to Jitterbugs. He looks very out of place because this is a this is a dance club slash speakeasy that caters to wealthy folk, and I'm guessing that Constantine doesn't look particularly rich in his current state. Even no, he, he's, you know, still, he's not poor, he's, but he's still wearing the drab clothes. They're wrinkled. Um, I mean, he was kind of laying on his bed, so I imagine his hair is even messier than usual. He just he has a big camera around his neck that he's carrying around. <laughs> And the, the bouncer doesn't want to let you in. And Margaret, I think you probably hear the bouncer kind of like shouting at someone that he's not gonna let he's not gonna let them in. And you I think you probably also hear Constantine's voice. Margaret O'Malley, I I, I need to talk to Mar I know she works here. I need to talk to Margaret O'Malley. I just like heave the heaviest sigh and <laughs> go over to the bouncer and I'm like, it's my cousin. He's fine. <laughs> I'll keep him out of sight of the patrons. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret, Margaret, I need to talk to you. Yeah, do you like take him to a back room or something? Uh, yeah. I d- uh, uh, Constantine does not wait until we get to the background. He's just like pulls out the book and he's like, Margaret, Margaret, we have some important thing. Look, look here. Like, and I just start pointing to things and being like, you know, I it was a djinn. Uh, uh, that, that's what that's what was released. And it was there was amber in it. I just start, you know, talking. Margaret, Margaret interrupts him and, and is like, okay, let's go to the back room. You hang out here for a second. I'm going to go get Evan as well, and we can all discuss this together. Okay. All right. Um, I'll do that. I imagine him getting distracted, like, distracted by, like, uh, maybe he had to do a fashion piece at one point. He doesn't understand fashion at all, but I imagine him getting, like, distracted um, by the fashion and maybe, like, pulling out his camera and, like, he's going to start taking a picture of, like, one of the patrons or something, and then that causes, I don't know. Your bouncer comes in and just, <laughs> yeah, just like, body checks him. You can't take pictures here or something. But. Um, so I, I sequester him in a back room, and I, like, I don't know, one of my fellow waitresses friends, I, like, wink at her, and I'm like, I, indic- I point towards Evan or whatever. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go talk to this guy. This guy looks real cool. 
And then I get up to Evan and I'm like, Constantine's here and he's causing problems. <laughs> yeah, I, I heard. <laughs> um, so he's in the back room if you want to come with me and we can figure out what's going on. Great. So yeah, so I, I get up and, and follow Maggie and uh, grab a bottle of something as we pass the bar. Evan, to this point, has not been drinking because he knows it's going to be a long day tomorrow, but that might have just changed. <laughs> oh, Evan, Evan, good. You're you're here too. What you, luck. Con- this is so Constantine, lucky. Constantine. We have such a you, high luck store. You you brought a camera to a speakeasy. You bought, yeah. brought a camera to a speakeasy. Yeah, Evan, I'm a photographer. <laughs> it's what I do. All right, awesome. sit down. <laughs> pours a pours a glass That's of so bathtub gin. Oh my god! Pours one for uh for Constantine as well, and just slides it across, and like won't let him talk until he drinks some of it. Just anytime he starts talking, just motion to the glass. Okay, okay, Evan, you'd need, you'd never steer me wrong. I know that. Um, so he takes it. Obviously, he does not uh drink gin very often, so he like. <coughs> <coughs> He spills some of it. And, yeah, but he gets it down. He's a big guy, so he can, you know, he probably, even though he doesn't drink very often, he can handle his liquor a little bit. Okay, now you're excited. Okay, so so I, I went home after I, I went to work for a few hours, and I, I went home and I started reading this, and um, there there's so many things, like, we this, this changes everything. Um, and then he, you know, explains kind of blow by blow what he... What he heard, he probably shows, you know, uh, points to things a little bit, but he he gives a good uh, a good explanation because again, like this isn't he's he's done research into this. He's he's looked at things like this before, so this isn't you know completely outside the realm of his knowledge. Why don't you give me an education role, Constantine? I'm very educated. Okay, that is a normal success. All right, barely, but. Just checking to see if if you if you miss any salient points in your description, but I think you I think you got it all. I think you got it all. See, Constantine came through. You got all the information. <laughs> well done, well done. Adam, are you sure you don't want to you you don't want to like read out blow for blow all those journal entries again? <laughs> here's here's what I, I know. I think if said. he tried doing that, we would stop him. <laughs> March March thirtieth. Ceremony. March 31st, Robert <laughs> dead. Harold Madness won't speak of it. I mean, that <laughs> dust, was most dust of it, of right? Ivan Ghazi, April 4th, can't go to Boston. <laughs> it's definitely not Ivan Ghazi. <laughs> it was Ibn Ghazi. It was pretty close. Thank you. Um, but yeah, so I mean, and again, Constantine, I think, I think now, like, re-talking about it, he is... You know, again, he's educated, um, he's intelligent, he's making more connections, like, to remember it later. So, like, you know, like, the the whole teaching it, you learn, you uh, uh, retain more. Like, I think he's going through that now, but, yeah. So, I think as as he finishes this up, I will pull Maggie off to the side and uh, kind of try to figure out and just be like, I haven't seen Constantine for a couple years now. How's, is this normal? It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty normal i would say this is a good day okay well (laughs) it is a good day let's hope we have some more good days i guess (laughs) so i mean he was able to relay all of the information that we need so great day even well it's it's getting late i'll I'll get evan home and into bed 
You you are Evan. Yeah, you are, wait, Sorry. Who's, who's, who's the one who's succumbing to madness? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll get Constantine home and into bed, and we'll meet back at, at the university in the morning. Sure. Sounds great. What 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 time? Are you not gonna pick us up? Like you're just like I don't I don't want to deal with you. I'm gonna drive my car, but you guys can take. Yeah. Care. I do not want to deal with any of you. I mean, I'm fine taking the train with my rosary and my violin case. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yes, Evan. I think that's my you... gun for the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I think you drive. Constantine back to his house and you you park and you you know you you help him into the door and you you walk upstairs with him just to kind of make sure that he's okay and as he's getting ready for bed you're kind of just looking around his bedroom and you notice a pile of ashes that are just sitting on the floor and that is where we are going to end our story for now <laughs> <laughs> what a normal dude yeah, super, super, normal. super normal dude <laughs> I, I, had, I had a concept for a normal like photographer who had a normal life and then I rolled a 20 sanity and I'm like well like, now I gotta be weird so. <laughs> this podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Chaosium Inc slash Moon Design Publications LLC which are used under Chaosium Inc.'s fan material policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Chaosium Inc. For more information about Chaosium Inc.'s products, please visit chaosium.com. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>